0: This week on the BOAG World Show, we've discussed the case for continual optimization and consider how this can be achieved by building an evolutionary process. This week's show is sponsored by Balsamic and Thought Story. Hello and welcome to the Boag World Show, the podcast about all aspects of conversion rate optimization, user experience and digital strategy. My name is Paul Barrick. Joining me on this week's show is Marcus Lillington. Hello, Marcus. Hi, Paul. You can't you're waving. I've told you about this in the chat room. We are an audio podcast. Look, look. Just because you can. used to be some TV star, you think,
1: oh, oh, I've got to play up for the camera. No 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 no, it's just it's just multitasking. I'm talking and waving at the same time. Look. Even you might okay. be able to do that. No, no, don't expect <laughs> right, don't try too it, much whatever of you me. Do.
0: Not, not today. Not today. Definitely not. So, how are you, Marcus? You're right. Absolutely fine. I'm going to talk about the
1: weather. So there. Because I feel nobody like, cares. No, nobody but it's cares, been
0: amazing.
1: It's I'm not it say, has it's, been got, amazing. it's gone back to being chilly today. But it was, it was like the middle of summer over the weekend, which was great. Oh, well, it's still, it's lovely here. Well, it's beautiful, it's,
0: but it's quite nippy. Uh, Today, well, uh, because I insisted on putting so many windows in this new house, it now superheats. The slightest sun, and everybody cooks inside. <laughs> yeah. What's it going to be like next summer, Paul? <laughs> well, don't forget, I have just gone through a summer. In the oh, summer, you can open, you can open... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's fine. But yeah. this time of year, it's kind of the minute you open the door, you get a freezing um, uh, wind whistling through the place. So, I, um, I was very put, much put in my place. Do you remember last week we were talking about Doctor Who? Yes. And, and we were talking about how um, Doctor Who, uh, how it, it, it kind of dithers around with the way it deals with racism it, from the it, past. It, it
1: uses its artistic license all the time.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Flip me, you should have seen Sunday's episode, Marcus. Unbelievable. So, so good. So, so powerful. It was set... I I need to be careful because I don't want to spoil it for people, but it's set in 1955 um, with um, Rosa Parks, who was the lady who refused to get get out of her seat on a bus Mm -hmm. and it kicked off the whole civil rights movement. So they did an episode about that. But it was just so well done. And you knew it. I mean, from the very, very first moment of the, the episode, it was like... You're okay. They arrive in 1955. Um, one of the com- companions, who's black, um, notices that a lady drops her glove, so picks up the glove and gives it back, and then the the husband turns around and slaps him, <laughs> and that's and you just think, wow, that is very non Doctor Who esque, <laughs> and and that whole and, and, and what was so great about it, and I really don't want to give away the ending is basically. The doctor didn't get to swoop in and make it all better. And it it was just so moving and heart, heart wrenching. So that put me in my place. Mm. Absolutely nailed it. You've got to watch it. Okay. Um, I will. And one day talking about things that put me in my place. Right, I was also moaning, wasn't I? I was moaning about home automation stuff and how it was a lot more difficult than than it, it made out to be, and it was a pain in the ass. Do you remember that? You don't remember that? You don't listen. To I me.
1: do remember because I'm quite interested in it, but you didn't persuade me that it was of any use to, uh, whatsoever. So I just ignored everything you said and carried on oh,
0: from that point. Well, hmm. this week I got a Nest. You know, one of those thermostaty mm-hmm. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about unbelievably good user experience, right? It. It treat it treated me at perf at the perfect DIY level of complete and utter. Moral. Now
1: open the bag. It,
0: it was the level of detail that the instructions went into about how to replace a thermostat. Remove the cover. Yeah. Remove the back of the battery cover. Yeah. Not the back of the pull battery out cover. this little <laughs> that yeah, one. Put the battery <laughs> cover back. You know, it was just. I mean, you—it's really, really, seriously impressed. Good user experience there, so so that was quite fun. Most so, all in all, but I'm having to apologise for everything that I've been saying the last couple of weeks. But all it
1: does is mean that you don't have to get up to change the 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 temperature on your thermostat. That's all it means.
0: No, 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 it It learns does, what you like does it really um and turns the temperature, and it'll do you know with like a normal te- um thermostat, you have to like if you say set it, um you want it when you get up, say if you get up at eight in the morning, mm-hmm. seven in the morning, whatever yeah, yeah yeah, you have to kind of work backwards to work out how long it's going to take to heat up, yeah so that when you get out of bed at eight it does all that for you automatically. Um, so that it, you know, you get out of bed and it's, at, you know, the right temperature because it's heated up. It worked out when it's got to start heating in the morning. And so then also when you go your out alarm
1: clock, is that what you're saying?
0: No, no, no. How does it know I'm when saying... you're going to get up then? Well, it, it knows because you, you tell it, but. You don't have to kind of go. Oh well, it takes two hours for the house to heat up, so therefore I need to set the the, the temperature at six o'clock. So I don't have to o'clock.
1: do a number minus two or minus one. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. And it's fantastic. And wow, I'm just ignoring you now. <laughs> You're just a cynical old man. <laughs> and it'll also. Mm. Um, what else will it also do? When you go out, it knows to turn the temperature down.
1: Uh, how does it know that? through your phone because okay, so you've gone your your geographical location has changed so it's it, yeah yeah okay
0: yeah right yeah that's good and if you've left someone at home who who isn't on the system it's got a motion they, detector they freeze it. no no that's what used to happen with my old one i used to have a to-do and that's what happened when really he started going i get these calls going ah, the temperature's so off you know? no but no it's um it's great so it's really good. I, I was seriously impressed by the nest. Okay. So there you go. Right. So there's one thing you can get. I think, I think if...
1: <laughs> what height? Sorry, don't read the note, notes, Marcus. Uh, don't need the messages. No,
0: it's a good question. Kate's asking a good question. Uh, how high is it on the wall if a child height be prepared for unpredictable changes? Oh. <laughs> uh, which is an entirely fair comment, Kate. And um, Chanty, we don't yeah. have children in our house, so it doesn't matter. Nice. Other than me. That's a big child <laughs> i think if it if it can
1: if it can stop me using as much energy then that's got to be a good good thing so.
0: yes and it does that it's got mm. all of that kind of monitoring and and it learns what you want when and it's great i have a three-year-old granddaughter and i
1: can imagine how that would happen
0: yes i come yeah, yeah, i come yeah, in definitely. to
1: have the, the the entire like netflix or sky or whatever is now all in japanese
0: how did that happen (laughs) i don't know she says (laughs) yeah that's 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 fine you want japanese tv you just don't know it yeah Yeah. so mm. um yes so the one i want next while we're on my my home automation thing is on bloody hot days like today I want it to detect that and open automatically open my skylight that's above me. That's the next Shouldn't thing just, on my list. Should, oh, I see what but
1: not keep the heating going. Turn the heating off and Yeah, and turn the, the heating air. off,
0: yeah. open the skylight. Okay.
1: Yes, I have in answer to uh Malarkey's question. Andy. Hello, Andy. Uh his question have you replaced all your bulbs with LEDs? Yes I have.
0: Oh, so you're at least that far along the road then? Mm-hmm. So but they're not smart bulbs, one presumes. No. Yeah. Mm. See, amateur. <laughs> see, uh. I can sit here and I can go, hey, Google, turn off the lights in the study. And it'll turn off all the lights. Okay, turning which, off five lights. Which you probably don't notice because no, no, did, it's did, so f- freaking bright in here anyway. Yeah, as I but say, think, um,
1: <sniffs> when I can't use my legs anymore, that'll be useful. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah all right you just it's so rude i'm just trying to drag you into the 21st century Mm, yeah but we mustn't all be like sheep
1: and just do everything that everyone says we should do you need to i've got you need to look at these things critically
0: paul all right here's one hit this one (sighs) this one's going to convince you right get a robot vacuum cleaner i've
1: heard that's fairly good we've got lots of lots of little steps
0: in our house
1: ah Some of them only like, you know, an inch maybe. Uh, Some of them like proper steps from one room to the other. I
0: mean, it won't go over the steps. It will detect the steps. So it's not going to fall down. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not going to be able to then... You're going to have to pick it up and move it from one room to another. But they are pretty good, I have to say. Bearing in mind we have two big hairy hounds, um, hoovering Mm. is a thing uh, that happens a
1: lot in our house. So... That yes. it would be good, but our floors are all different types
0: uh, and that's th- okay. they're
1: different heights. Uh, and that's
0: the-, the heights is a problem. Mm. The different types is not. Yeah. So the one that I've got actually um, will detect a carpet and turn up the, you know, the, the, the brush. suction. That's ooh, ooh, the word. suction, right. Okay. Normally just the um, go And also when it's on hard floor, it will mop as well if I want it to. Mop? It's got water yeah. in it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I wow. know, right? See, I'm
1: mm. I'm winning you over. Mm. I quite I quite like the sound of this. So yeah, and everyone on the podcast must be really into this. This is no, more no, this boring is... than
0: web design, don't you think? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, because it's all about, in my opinion, bringing this back round to it's, our it's subject futurist matter type of thing. Yes, or... it's it's the future of the user interface, which is no interface. Yeah. Right. Why you know, for example with the with that that um, vacuum cleaner, I can just tell Google to start the vacuum cleaner
1: however, there is a and there is always a however coming back to this idea of getting a nest would make me use less energy um exactly, exactly Andy, what a riveting podcast this is um it's highbrow Andy you wouldn't know what that means um <laughs> He posted he posted a two
0: and a half thousand pound suit on Twitter earlier and, and said that he's I buy know, it. I know. And you think I'm wasting money on a vacuum? Oh, no, it suits more it suits better than a vacuum it cleaner is actually, than yeah. that. But yeah. it's cheaper yeah. as well. But you could get four vacuum cleaners for that. And how least.
1: much energy <laughs> is the robot vacuum cleaner using compared to a standard one? If it's more, you probably shouldn't be using it
0: ah uh, yes but in our house we have a uh an entirely renewable energy company that doesn't know <laughs> yeah
1: you're still using what do you mean mo- no you're still <laughs> you're still using more energy though Je-
0: yeah but it's all coming from energy. solar no no it's all coming from solar or coming from uh wind farms or water
1: yeah they say it is i don't believe them mine is too
0: what do you mean you don't believe them <laughs> I, don't. I think possibly somebody might have prosecuted them if they were just what? making that shit up
1: but what happens if, if you know there's only so much power produced through wind and sea and whatever so if that runs yeah. out
0: they'll then take it off the standard grid surely you not just you just. Well, it still comes. It no no. It, basically, it come. It still comes off the standard grid. So my mm-hmm. they don't they don't ship in special electricity. Exactly. to my. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but for what they mean by that is that every kilowatt or whatever that they sell, mm-hmm. they they produce the equivalent kilowattage mm-hmm. via renewable sources.
1: Okay.
0: So, I still think we should. Yeah, I still you, think we should be. Using I'm looking that forward to now. how the transcriber is going to transcribe. <laughs> Brilliant.
1: Anyway, so yes, I'm bored of that conversation now,
0: Paul. How could you possibly be bored of it? <clears throat> so, uh, oh, all right, will talk about web design. What boring ass thought for the day have you got? Then it, it's a
1: continuation from last week. I've got to find it now. We're done with it. Uh, somebody asked Ryan Taylor asked the question. How do you? Con- I was talking about doing website reviews, if you remember, Paul, probably fell out of your brain immediately yes. after the call, No, no. Uh, the call, the podcast, no. uh, and Ryan said, but how do you get people to pay for these
0: things? So I thought about with it. With money yes, is normally the that's preferable the one, way. Or, or bartering with chickens. How many chickens do you get for a discovery project? <laughs> That'd be quite a lot, actually. Come back to the I microphone. I would have thought market. so. Yes. That's- it's got to be at least a cow, wouldn't it? I reckon a cow. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. I don't I do, I know how much a cow's worth. You carry on. I'm going to Lots find out how money. much a cow's worth. Is it? How much is a
1: cow? <laughs> oh, bye. Bye, Andy. Uh, right, so. Uh, he got uh, <laughs> so bored that he's leaving? <laughs> it's because I insulted him. I didn't mean it. But anyway, he's gone now. Right, so I think it's a little bit more than just website reviews. I think we need to. It's a bit wider than that. We need. To, it's about convincing clients to spend money on research generally, or even harder, potentially convincing them to spend money on scoping specification, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I'm going to talk about that next week. Probably if I get my thoughts together on that. So I'm just going to talk about spending, get, getting clients to spend money on research. Um, the first thing you need to do, and this is, we're assuming we're talking to a potential new client here. <clears throat> So the first thing you need to do is ask them what research they've already done. Have they done a competitor review? Have they done any testing? And if 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 they have, please can you have a look at it? That's really important. Because uh, if if that research is good, don't propose to repeat it. Um, mm. um, you obviously need to acknowledge it and say that it will make up part uh, of a more complete ca- complete package that you're going to propose. Uh, and I suppose if all the bases that you're going to propose have been covered. Uh, then you would just move directly on to the next phase of the project, but I, that's never happened in my experience. There's always something <laughs> that you you need to investigate further. But it might be there might it's quite possible that a client will already have done a bunch of research, uh, and you need to kind of bring that on board. And the reason why I'm saying that here on the on the subject of convincing clients to spend money on reviews is they will almost certainly. Or well, not almost certainly they will have put effort into those previous the previous research they've done. Even if they did it in house, they'll realize that it's something that takes effort. And if you're talking about it as a general thing, then you're making the case for doing research as part of this new pro new project. We're going to take on board the stuff you've already done, and you're going to have to pay for this bit we're proposing. Okay? Mm. So that's part of the the convincing exercise. So um Specific to a site review, I'll I'll add one to a proposal if I think it's an appropriate thing to do. I often do. um, And I sell it, and this has kind of come about over the last few years. We've been doing site reviews for decades now, but over the past few years, I've been kind of selling it, uh, in air quotes, as part of a three-pronged approach to research, reviews, recommendations, that kind of thing. And those three facets or approaches or whatever are, one, users, i.e., we want to get input from users through interviews, surveys, testing, uh, testing, and it's obvious why we'd want to do that. Second one is internal stakeholders. Um, we want to understand objectives, the character of an organization, understand its aspirations and all, and get their take on users as well. Everybody knows that. The third one is to get kind of an expert user viewpoint. Someone who's been doing this kind of thing and is into UX and has been doing that kind of stuff for years and years get that that viewpoint the kind of you know best practice viewpoint if you like because we can bring that um so it's providing a critical eye on things like design and copy that you won't get from the first two groups there maybe a little bit but we'll we'll look into more detail on those kind of things so again it's put so you're, you're selling it as part of this kind of package of research some of which might have already been done other bits won't have been and that's a site review, we kind of bring it as you're adding a third input into the into the research process. Um, we also look at analytics and competitors as part of our expert review. Um, and I guess it's just another part of the discovery phase armoury that we have. Uh, and it's something that our clients actually are keen on us doing. Um, I can't think of, I, I can think of one recent project where people have said, we don't want you to do the expert review. But you can do all the other bits but that's really rare so it's something that it seems that i don't need to do a lot of persuading on but maybe that's because of all the things i've just said um
0: i think the, uh, another thing sorry that's you, right. got, i thought you were wrapping up i, very, I am Marcus. i am
1: wrapping up oh, this right. is my last sentence then you may talk paul <laughs> thank you thank you for your permission <laughs> anytime uh so but going back to what i said last week however it's important a not to state the obvious and b to provide recommendations on the issues that you highlight Otherwise, I guess it's possible if you just provide boring expert reviews that just say your site is bad, this is really obviously bad stuff, then you might get a reputation for producing site reviews that aren't worth spending money on. So you need to make Mm. sure that they are actually good quality if somebody's going to recommend you to a colleague or a friend or something like that. So that's it. Mm.
0: I mean, the thing that I find works well, when, when any of this kind of upfront discovery work, whether it be... You know, a site review or indeed anything else is. I position it as this is. I, I do it as a project in its own right. This Is the way I approach it right? So we're going to do before we do the main contract and the main agreement, we're going to do this upfront piece of work. Um, I position it as a chance for you to try the relationship with me, mm-hmm. right? you see whether you think I've got, you know, have a look at what I produce. Is it good quality? Is it it useful? So it reduces your risk because you have a small outgoing upfront um, and a chance to walk away at the end if you're not happy. Um, I also say it's, I always make it very clear what the deliverables are going to be and that those deliverables have value in their own right right? So, you know, uh, that they could take the site review and go and get another designer and developer to implement it if they wanted to. Or they could, if, I, if I'm helping doing some discovery and some background, you know, the deliverable there will be a better brief that, uh, you know, enables people to quote more accurately on your final development cost. Um, and you'll have a better idea of what's going to be delivered at the end of it rather than, a woolly brief where it's all a bit vague do you know what i mean that's i mean that's um, that's my kind of that was the other point that i
1: might talk about next week if i can think of enough oh. to talk about it which is that paying a client paying for you to scope their project or specify that yeah. project because uh, that's different to mm. doing a review and yes it is uh, yeah and that's a di- that is a different thing and i think that when you're going to do that you have to make it a separate thing like you're saying paul is yeah other other you, you Otherwise, it's just fantasy, isn't it? You, we we can we can yeah. price this bit, but all the rest of it, we've got no idea because we haven't done the specification yet. So I guess it depends yeah, on, yeah. on how good a brief is when it comes in. Usually, it's these days. Briefs are getting better and better, in my experience.
0: They are, yeah, they are. Um, but it's it, sometimes when that brief lacks. Um, Things like user research mm. or you know or prioritize business objectives, those kinds of things which they still often do if I, mm. you know if we're honest yeah yeah um so it's not necessarily a big project to help them re, you know scope it, but there is some work to be done there, but we won't get onto that because you're going to uh, cover it next uh, week, yeah
1: like... you, uh, you have to now i've oh, got no. no choice yeah mind you it's going to be weeks before we record the next one so.
0: Yeah yeah cuz I'm I'm jetting off around the world that's how rock and roll I am or something. Although actually after I've got 2 weeks of jetting off around the world and the third week where I think we are actually recording a podcast I'm officially on holiday so I can play Red Dead Redemption 2 in my pants <laughs> probably <laughs> allegedly. Bye-bye. Right, <laughs> let's um, talk about our first um, uh, sponsor, which is Balsamic. And actually talking about the idea of site reviews, um, if you would like some feedback on your website and are too tight to pay Marcus for it, um, you, can, you can actually get me to do it for you for free. Well, I say for free, Balsamic are, um, are talking about paying for it. Um, which is very nice of them. Basically, they've asked me to review websites and give my first impression of those websites. So I've already recorded one for a web design agency in Australia. Um, and it's actually, it's amazing how much you can cover in 20 minutes of me waffling on a video. Um, so uh, we do publish these afterwards so everybody can benefit from them. I don't think that one has been published yet, but they're very keen to get me to do some more. So if you you would like me to review your website, um, then go to balsamic.com forward slash learn forward slash BOAG review. It's really great the way that Balsamic are uh, are indulging my rants. So they are effectively sponsoring me to rant, both through the podcast and videos, which is very nice of them. Cool. Okay, let's talk about this week's um, topic, which is really... um, the kind of case and implementation of continual optimization. So it's this idea that we should be continually optimizing our sites rather than doing periodic redesigns of them. And nowhere is this more important than when you're talking about conversion rate optimization, which is an incredibly important um, uh, part of the equation when doing uh, conversion rate optimization is to ensure that you are continually optimizing your site. I think probably the best place to start on that kind of conversation is by looking at the the damage that periodic redesigns do. So most organizations do a redesign of their website every what 3 to 5 years, maybe a bit shorter than that, it kind of it will vary a little bit, but something along those lines. And uh, this is a bad idea. It's a bad idea for all kinds of reasons. For a start, your um, existing customers... Tw- sorry, Paul, uh, I've got to interrupt.
1: 12 years, current client we're working
0: with. 12 years since they've redesigned their site. Mm,
1: before the iPhone, it was. Before President Bloody Obama. And <laughs> there was another before, well... <gasps> That is
0: unbelievable. I've never come across one that's quite that long. Mm. But that depends whether they've been maintaining it in the in-between time and evolving it.
1: A a bit more just like bolting on extras because it's so old and unusable. Right. Okay. So
0: anyway, uh, it's not generally a good idea to do a redesign, (laughs) but it's also not a good idea to leave your website for 12 years without really doing very much at all. Um, the problem with periodic redesigns, for a start, is that it can really throw existing customers. So if you have repeat traffic that's coming back to your site regularly, people are going to learn the eccentricities of your site. And even if you improve it, if you do a big redesign, you change everything in one go, it will absolutely throw them um, and uh, actually will damage your conversion rate. But there are there are more kind of fundamental problems even even than that with this kind of boom-bust cycle of periodic redesigns. Um, For example, it's typically incredibly wasteful because you're throwing out everything, right? When you do a redesign, you normally throw out everything, good, the bad, the indifferent, it all gets chucked out, um, and you start again, Uh, which, you know, okay, you might migrate the content and the information architecture, but even that is probably, that's the last bit you should be migrating in most uh, situations, in my experience, um so so you're throwing out perfectly good stuff along with the bad. The other problem that you've got is that for a big chunk of your uh, of its life cycle, the website isn't optimized. You know, isn't running at peak performance. It is when it, you initially launch it, and then very quickly it, it gets abandoned, and it, it becomes less and less fit for purpose. Content becomes out of date. The technology stack doesn't age well. the The design begins to to creak as more and more stuff is crowbarred into it. Um. So, most of the, its life, your website is not really very efficient it 's not working as well as it should be and then, finally, when you do these redesigns they are um, they're a capital expense in other words, they 're an unpredictable expense that comes along every three to five years um, and they 're a big cost to the business it 's much cheaper. And much more predictable if there's an ongoing um, operational expense to maintain and keep the website up to date. So, periodic redesigns are not a good idea. Um, but, you know, incremental improvement, improving your website over time, now that makes a lot more sense because your website's always going to be opt- um, uh, operating at peak performance. You're going to make significant cost savings because you're not throwing everything out and starting from scratch every time. And you're going to know what it is that you update that's actually going to prove beneficial. Again, another problem with throwing out a whole website is you and, and launching a new one, if that new one outperforms the old one, you're not really going to sh- sh- know what it was about the new site that's better than the old one. Or you know, heaven forbid that the website performs less well than the previous one, you're not going to know where the problem is because you've changed too much in one go. So incremental improvement allows you to know what is working and what is not. So obviously better for your cash flow as well. And the decisions that you're making about the website are data-driven rather than just on on opinion and, you know, and, and um, senior management shouting about it. Um, And, of course, when you're updating a website, refreshing it on an ongoing basis, it keeps coming back, doesn't it? It's like every time you see a major app, um, you know, one of the apps on your mobile is a major uh, release um, to that app and it updates it. You go back and have a look, don't you? Go and see what's changed. So uh, part of the problem is that we need to be kind of optimizing on a continual basis. But there's a kind of another part of the, it as well, which is that the way we traditionally run projects is failing uh, in, in the digital water, field, uh, water uh, digital world. And, and the problem is that um, we think in terms of finite projects with a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? So that's part of why sites aren't continually optimized, but are rather redesigned periodically. But alongside that, project mentality is that kind of waterfall approach that that um you know somebody in senior management decides the website needs redesigning a lot big specification is drawn up and sent out to tender companies like headscape tender for it um, there's a competitive tender bill, um, a supplier is selected, a statement of work is written. And then when the project begins, it's all about um, uh, uh, avoiding scope creep because the budget's been set, the, you know, there's a contract in place and so nothing can change at that point. And then when the website's delivered, everybody goes on to the next project and kind of walks away. And that is just not suited to the digital world. And there are, There are kind of three reasons for that. One is that that methodology of uh, avoiding scope creep and doing a big specification up up front is kind of comes from this, this world of, I don't know, building something physical, like a building, a factory, right? You don't want to get halfway through building a factory and suddenly go, oh, shit, we're doing it wrong. We've got to change. And that's because... Of the cost that goes into building that kind of thing because it's not just labor you also got the cost of raw materials your cement your your girders and whatever other things are involved in building a (laughs) factory showing my words. um well by contrast in the digital world pixels are free the walls and raw material is free (laughs) what's that the the walls and the roof and things like that things
1: like that gates and doors
0: yeah yeah they're real but things, aren't in they? <laughs> in the digital world all those kind of raw materials are free so and then secondly once in you know imagine imagine a factory where all the raw materials were free and you were designing a factory and then when you built the factory you then got real-time data flooding back about how efficient that factory was right so you if you got that in real time, you'd start tweaking the factory, wouldn't you? You'd move a wall here and change a production line and see if you couldn't increase the the data that you're getting back. And that is where we're at with digital. We get so much data, yet the stupid thing is, is we stop paying attention to that data once the website has been redesigned and relaunched because everybody moves on to another project,
1: right? I don't think it's as bad so, as it used to be. Before. Uh, uh.
0: No, it's not. It's not. But you still see it because even uh, you can look at this on a macro level, right? So an entire website redesign. But I was meeting with a, a large pharmaceutical company mm. this week, right? Um and they of course they're constantly iterating and improving their website. So you think great, they they've got it. Until you really dig into that and what you discover is actually what they're doing is running one campaign after another, mm. right? So they're they're replacing redesigning the whole website with we're going to create a landing page and do an email campaign. We're going to send it out and then we're going to walk on to the next campaign and never actually monitor whether that campaign was effective or not. Mm. So it's not as bad, but it's kind of happening at a lower level, if that makes sense, with, you know, individual parts of the site. There's no, they're not paying attention to the the data in quite the same way. The final problem it, with this this kind of uh, waterfall type approach is that the web is bloody complicated right and involves a lot of different specialists working incredibly closely together right so there has to be a lot of integration between the developers, the designers, the content people and if you're just flinging content, you know flinging the project over the wall to the next person down the chain. That's not really going to work. So what we need to be doing instead is a more, uh, an approach that's more similar to the scientific methodology of we form a hypothesis about how the website could work or how the campaign could work or whatever it be. You then test that and then you iterate upon it based on what you learn. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, that's agile, right? Right. Mm. And and we do agile already and i get this all the time when i talk Mm. about this at the moment oh yes we do agile but do you really right because in my experience Mm. there's a lot of companies that say they do agile right and do not what they mean is oh yes the development team does agile Mm. okay but if you've every other part of the process is not Agile. If, still ha- if there's still someone in senior management that's defining the project, someone then creating a specification, someone then designing it, then you have a bit of Agile going on when it's developed, and then people pouring the content in. That's not Agile. That's just Waterfall with Agile kind of shoved in the middle somewhere. So I think there are more fundamental problems going on here organizationally. But, Marcus, I fully accept what you're saying. It is better than it was five years ago even. Yeah, it's kind of like what does a redesign mean these days?
1: I mean, look, what we re- redesigned the Headscape site. We kept most of it, uh, yeah. But it looks very different, uh, and I think that's because a redesign of a twelve-year-old site does mean throwing it away and starting it again. Yeah. Uh, but I think redesigning a two, three-year-old site doesn't have to. It might do. I'm not disagreeing with what, yeah. any of what you've just said.
0: I just think it's not as maybe as black and white as it once was. Oh, yeah, of course, and and sometimes a redesign is absolutely necessary. Mm. If your foundations are not firm, mm. then yeah, you're going to have to change everything in one go. And I, I think that
1: sorry, but one of the things that I think is really important here, because what what I think what you're saying about real proper agile, about the idea of having a digital team that has the the power in itself. To say we're gonna the data is telling us this so therefore we're going to go mm. and work on this i yeah I, it takes a lot of things needs to be in place for that to happen you know mm. all the time uh, for starters senior management has to be bought in if it isn't it isn't gonna yeah. happen because they'll go well, yeah. what are you doing um how much are you going to spend on this when is it going to be finished and all the all the usual mm-hmm. kind of those kind of things and if that is the case then that shouldn't necessarily mean that no Web development shouldn't happen. Do you see what I mean? It's kind of like, uh, if you've got not got the perfect team structure where people can work... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where agencies like Headscape tend to come in. Because we'll come in in yeah. situations that are politically difficult uh, and that people mm. aren't maybe getting things done that they want to get done. Uh, so they'll hire the likes of us to help them make that happen. Mm. We're not needed. It's, We're not needed in a, in a situation where... You know, there's a a full, fully spec digital team that have their, mm. you know, they, you know their, their future is mapped out by the data they're getting. Um, but mm. unfortunately, that's not the way
0: it is in many, many places in the world. No, absolutely. And you're entirely right. You know, you make do with what you've got, Mm. don't you? And you work within the constraints that you've got. This pharmaceutical company I was meeting with is a classic example of that, that they had certain constraints placed upon them via global. Mm. And they'd had too many consultants come in that basically told them all the theory, like I've just spouted now, Mm. and and then not better off at the end of it. Um, so they have to work within the constraints they have. Yeah. But there's a balance to be struck there. Yeah. You know, if you just always work within the constraints placed upon you, you're never going to get the best. Yeah, and you're always going to get you know, a
1: website that dies at the end of the Once we say bye, we're done. You, yeah, you absolutely. Know, you, it has to – and that's not good for us. So we need to no. be encouraging people cause to
0: you, work. Because the, yeah. the agency often gets the blame yeah. for that. Oh, yeah.
1: And I don't mind it if we, you know, we are used as scapegoats and that's fine um, to a certain extent. But you don't want to get the blame up when it really isn't your fault, you know. And no. that would be a, a case of that.
0: So it's a matter really of moving moving the, the, the you want to move things on a bit. Mm. You can't just sit in the status quo and say, this is the situation we're in. You know, we need to live with that. I think you need to know where where you're heading right? Mm. And you need to take little steps towards that um, and incrementally improve things over time. So you're totally right pulling me up on, you know, well, this is all well and good in principle, um, but it's it that balance, isn't it's, it? It's, yeah. It's, but yeah, 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 absolutely. And, that, and yeah. that's a fair comment. Mm. You're, you're absolutely right in doing that. Um, but it, you know, you also need to be pushing forward. It's getting the two working simultaneously. Yep. And I, uh, for me, the key to that is starting shifting, the decision-making to be based on data rather than on senior management decision. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that is even that is a a slow road because it's how you show it, bring the data back to management without turning around and saying, your idea was stupid. (laughs) We should be doing this instead. Look, the data says so, you know, you've got to do that in the right way as well. But talking about data, um, That brings me on very nicely to Full Story, um, which is our second sponsor, who is a session uh, recorder uh, and allows you to replay sessions, which is an incredibly useful tool in your um, designer's arsenal to give you a broad look at what's going on with your website. right? Uh, And yeah, great. Analytics are wonderful. They certainly give a lot of insights, but nothing beats that personal understanding watching real users interacting with your pages in real time. And that will uncover a lot of areas that you can improve on your website without necessarily needing to redesign the whole thing. And it will give you evidence you can take to management and those kinds of things. Um, uh, Session replay uncovers a whole host of UX and general design issues that can't really be sussed out from, from really anything else. Even usability testing often overlooks these things because people are giving pages a lot more attention in a usability test session than they are in real life. In terms of why you should use Full Story, well, it offers the highest fidelity session um, replay available because uh, it indexes absolutely every single event on a page, and you can search and segment any action. So you can see users that furiously rage, click on a button, um, and then instantly view what they did and everything around that, and you can get insights um, that that overlays data on pages to tell you what's going on as well. If you fancy giving it a go, you can sign up and get a free month of the pro account for free. Uh, no credit card is required and you can continue for free up to a thousand sessions per month after that um that free month of the pro account. Or of course you can you can jump in and, and um sign up. To check it all out and to give it a go, try fullstory.com forward slash boag. So, on the basis that we want to move to a more iterative process, what does that look like in practice? Um, so, from my point of view, that what you're talking about is a kind of five-step process. And this applies whether you're talking about... Redesigning an entire website or doing an individual campaign or adding a new feature or a new landing page. The process is basically the same in, in all situations. The beginning of that process is to do a discovery phase, right? Right. Or I actually don't like the word discovery phase, if I'm honest. Um, the problem with the, the word discovery, uh, it, it, it basically meets, makes it sound like, we've no idea what we're doing or what this project is about, so we're going to flail around and waste some time working that out. Research. Um, yeah, research, specification phase, anything like that is is, is better, in my opinion, than yeah. discovery. But that's just a personal preference. <laughs> yeah, let's do discovery, you know. <laughs> And I, it particularly falls down if you're an agency, right, going to work for a client. Because if you call it a discovery phase, you basically make it sound like you're going to be paying us money to work out who you are and what's going on in your company. And nobody ever wants to pay for that, do they? No. Right. So, so we're going to give it a different name. But essentially, in that phase, you are researching your audiences, um, understanding what needs they have prioritizing those audiences, um, doing a little bit of work around what the business objectives are, prioritizing those business objectives, um, and then defining the shape of the project, what success looks like. I'm not talking about necessarily working out all of you know the functionality or anything like that, but what should success look like? How do we know if this project has succeeded or not? So it's gathering much... data isn't it that's what we're talking, going back to the previous yeah point. it's
1: all about making decisions based on good data that data doesn't necessarily have to be numbers it can be Absolutely. inputs of any sort
0: yeah and so often it's good to kind of define a project in terms of user needs you know mm. what does a user need to do for this project to have been a success and also what's the business need to have achieved in order for it to be a success so doing that up front then whether you uh, whether you're doing a big redesign, an email campaign, whatever else, then you move into a proof of concept stage or, uh, or a prototyping stage. So this is where you begin to to shape a possible solution based on um, what you've kind of what you've learned in the discovery phase, or want of a better word. So this uh, this is an interesting one because this is this could it be at different levels of fidelity depending on what the project is and what you're doing, right? So if you're doing something like, let's say you're doing an email campaign, your, your proof of concept phase probably would consist of doing two or three different versions of the email campaign and then doing, sending those out Uh, to a segment of your audience to see which one performs the best before you send out the full one. But the principle is still the same. If you're redesigning a whole website, you might go through an iterative process of you do a low-fidelity wireframe, maybe run a workshop that wireframes some key pages, maybe you do some sketches, and then increase the fidelity over time. So Step two, this build a proof of concept, kind of merges in with step three, which is testing and iteration. Mm. So it's this idea that you, you prototype something very basically, you then test that and iterate and improve upon it. And this is a absolutely fundamental if you're talking about conversion rate optimization, right? Because it doesn't matter how long you've been doing this shit, right? And I have been doing it a long time. I still never get things right the first time. Okay. It just doesn't happen. You don't come up with the perfect design, the perfect copy, the perfect converting machine mm. out of the gate. It does not happen. Right. So if you are not testing and iterating upon that, then you are leaving money on the table. You're leaving conversion over the table. And I had, I had the best most encouraging conversation i think i've had in ages with with you remember i was i t- talked to you about the, the company that i've been doing design for for the first yeah. time in ages right and i had a conversation with one of their directors and, um, and he came back to me and said i love what you've done on mobile because they've got really shit mobile experience on their current website and they know they do mm. I, I love what you've done on mobile it's really really good but we're a bit worried about the desktop version because it, it's quite different from the current version. And we're, we're worried about the risk of our conversion rate dropping if we switch across. And it was like, yes, mm-hmm. someone someone thinking about risk management. Mm. So we talked about, well, okay, we can do some usability testing. And we can see how it performs with the baseline of the existing site. And then we can evolve it. So you kind of go through this. I was talking him through this. And then that leads us on to step four. Which is, I said to him, well, even once we are happy with it, we don't just switch it over one day and suddenly make this site live, right? Instead, what we can do is we can um, roll it out to, um, we can put it online and send a certain percentage of the traffic towards the new site and see how they get on with it in a real environment. Um, We can add a banner to the existing site that says, hey, why not try our beta you know, and see how you get on with it. And then on the beta site, on the new site, we have a banner that says, go back to the old one if I hate it, Mm, you know? And then you get an idea of how real users are, are, are doing this. So it's that idea of selectively rolling stuff out. And that doesn't, none of this applies just to a, big site it also applies to anything you can you can do this on a landing page you can do this you know with a with a email marketing campaign even with a social media campaign this idea of testing and iterating rolling it out to segments of the audience hmm. and then once you've gone live with it even once we push this this e- um, e-commerce site live that i've been designing We don't even stop there. Then we start monitoring it. We monitor it over the long term, improving and iterating it over time. And that's the basic structure. Mm -hmm. Now, but I think the important thing which goes back really to Marcus's more pragmatic view that he was talking about earlier is how much you, you will do every, should do every single one of those five steps. But to what degree is up to you. Right, So a discovery phase, a research phase, could be as simple as having a, few, a chat with a few salespeople that are meeting with users every day. And that's enough, mm. right? Um, equally, your proof of concept may never get beyond pen or paper, right? And just a little sketch or if it's IA work you're doing, it might be an Excel document. Yeah. You know, it doesn't need to be rocket science. And the testing, that could be testing just a design comp. It could be testing with anyone outside of the organization, three or four people. It doesn't need to be heavy duty. And the the selective rollout, you might conclude, well, actually, that's not a big deal in our case because, you know, we've got a, such a low level of traffic anyway that it doesn't matter. In which case... Roll it out in one go, but just have the ability to roll back if something goes horribly wrong, you know? So so all of these things are scalable, but it's that basic five steps, research, proof of concept, testing and iterate, selective rollout, and monitor and improve, which you want to kind of get into the rhythm of. Cool. Have, have I been too theoretical and and uh, ide- ideologically pure there, Marcus? Do you need to slap me down again? No,
1: not at all. I like all of those things very much, uh, and it's in, there, Marcus approved. There is a link here. Paul Paul in chat room has a question, quite a long question. I shall read it all out. Uh, do, oh, do you feel that ongoing iterative improvement means redefining the relationship and purchasing processes for web services? For example, maintaining an ongoing relationship rather than the typical purchase cycle and then abandonment that Marcus referred to. Yes. It depends on the team, on the on the size and the skills involved in the team that he, have hired those web services. Uh, these, I mean, and I think... Uh, it's rare that we'll come across a web team that has less than three people in it now, now these days. Normally, it's quite a lot more than that. Uh, so, therefore, we are able to be kind of hired for a section of the work, maybe part of what Paul's just described, and then they can take it on board. If they can't, then they should be hiring us on a more ongoing – I mean, most of our clients hire us on an ongoing basis anyway, but it it it's who's got the, the skills available to ensure that all this stuff Paul's been talking about happens. Uh, and it mm. might be you need to hire, hire um, people
0: um, external people, but if you 've got skills in house you don 't the procurement the procurement process is another big part of this as well because um, mm. obviously you don 't <laughs> want to have to jump through a few, full procurement process every time you get somebody to do some work on your website. Um, and that's often a big problem, and especially with larger organizations. They have the checks and balances in place to, to avoid this. So, mm-hmm. I mean, one approach is that, you, yes, you get them to do this for, for the first project, and then they move into a, some kind of preferred supplier status or something like that in order to avoid this having to happen again and again. And oftentimes, it's just a matter of sitting down with the procurement people and actually having a conversation about it and explaining the situation. Um, often, I think people... People take, you know, procurement rules as being written in stone mm. and nobody can ever change them. And that's not actually true. Yeah, the other big agreed. problem area, yeah, the other big problem area, Paul, often actually is is um, the way finance operates within the organization. That, um, you know, uh, they think in terms of these capital investments all the time. Mm. Um, rather than operational costs. Most organisations are trying to lower their operational costs and rely more heavily on, on capital investment. And that can cause cause problems sometimes that, again, you need to have a conversation with them and go, okay, you know, uh, how are we going to manage this in a way that allows us to be agile enough and responsive enough, you know, rather than having to go through a three-month sign-off process to get budget every time we want to make a change to the website. So, Absolutely, of course, there have got to be checks and balances in place to stop, you know, you going and spending 10 grand with your mate that does websites. Mm. But on the other hand, there's also got to, we've got to change the culture a little bit to be more agile and more um, responsive um, than maybe we currently are. It's a good question. Just
1: on on the subject of procurement, I understand and accept entirely that there are, you know, procurement departments are a fact of life my biggest bugbear with them is that i can't talk to people properly before before the process yeah. of pitching for a piece of work on those and and some large organisations who who have you know very very stringent procurement uh, processes do have that we can they'll, they will encourage meetings where you go and sit down and have a chat and you can kind of work out whether it's for us or you know whether we you know whether we fit and get an idea of scope and all those kind of things um they work, um, mm. and because sometimes you can go well. Actually, it's not for us, or whatever. Yeah. And sometimes you don't know, and you put loads of effort into something that you you, you don't know whether you're going to win it or not. So, or you don't even have a chance of winning it.
0: um So, yet yeah, being able to have that chat up front is what needs to change, from uh, from my point of view. Yeah, I mean, I've you know me, I've gone a step further, Marcus. I just won't have anything to do with it at all. um You know, I don't go through procurement processes. Um, but that's partly my situation that like I'm a one-man band and can't afford to, to be frank. Um, you know, you'd spend half your life doing pictures and not actually doing any bloody work. Um, but it's it's a difficult one. It is difficult because I do understand the needs for it. Um, but it, it is incredibly problematic. And the trouble is, is half these time, these procurement processes, you people find work rounds for them.
1: Yeah, you know yeah, how many yeah, times
0: absolutely. how many times has headscape been Oh, can we keep it under can we keep each invoice under this amount because then it p- falls below our procurement threshold yeah
1: it it, well, it it depends on on kind of if you're dealing with somebody who's really senior who's been around for in whatever it is whatever organization it is for ages then they'll just make it happen it's um yeah yeah um nothing more to say on, say on that i think it, it, it's and that actually comes back to this kind of idea of you know choosing not to go for you know just not to, to become involved in it we have to go for projects of a certain value and if you're yeah. over a certain value then they're all well not all most are behind some kind of you know pitching process or procurement process and yeah. as i say it's just a fact of life just it would be nice for us if we could do more just talking with people beforehand Mm.
0: Okay. So I think that about wraps it up. We've gone on a somewhat of a tangent in the end, but I think it was a good tangent. Um, If you want to know more about this kind of whole website redesign malarkey and my opinions on it, I have written a post at boagworld.com forward slash digital dash strategy forward slash website dash redesign. Um, if you want to go and wave that under some senior manager's nose. Not for all the good it'll do. Marcus, do you have a joke to wrap us up with? Uh, this is a Bruce
1: Lawson joke, so I imagine most of the, most of the listeners have already heard it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, just spent £300 on a limousine and discovered that the fee doesn't include a driver. Can't believe I've spent all that money and have nothing to show for it.
0: Oh... Oh, I quite like that one. No, no, that's a good one. I like that. I approve this joke. Excellent. All right, I think that wraps us up for this week. Um, if you are interested in the masterclass on which this season is based, then go to boagworld.com forward slash masterclass. Otherwise, we'll see you next week for our penultimate episode in this season. Um, but until then, thanks for listening.
1: Oh.